I'm making myself comfortable that I am going to be an initiator in most of my relationships and I'm all right with it. I've wrote a lot about why I'm so frustrated and I've made my peace with chat. That is the gig. You're an initiator. People see it. They wait for you. They're being respectful to you. They're not only talking to you when you talk to them. That's a sign of a leader. And I'm going to keep initiating. And I've already noticed just having that conversation with a handful of friends, you know what's happening? They're initiating. All right. We are back with Chet Scott. So hopefully you guys have had a chance to listen to Chet's prior episodes. He's been on the podcast twice Mm -hmm. already. And uh, last time we kind of went off format a little bit with a story that was important to Chet and to me, hopefully to you too. But now we're going to really go off format. And uh, this is something that Chet and I are going to try to mix in periodically. Chet is somebody that I, as you probably know from listening to prior episodes, have a a deep respect for and admire and enjoy just being with. And so I figured, why not? Let's be with and do what we do, which is talk about all kinds of stuff that, that matters to me and to you and hopefully to other people about life and work and just this journey that we're all on. Let's do that and record it rather than just do it at North Star wherever we usually get a chance to, you know, talk about life. Just for starters, I thought maybe we'd give a little update on you and you've got some, your heart attack is in the rear view mirror and you've certainly come back full strength and just curious to hear about where things are with you these days. Where things are with me. I think a lot like they were the last time, which is a pattern. So prior to the heart attack, I feel like things were pretty good. Mm -hmm. Heart attack, that was a jolt. Post the heart attack, things are pretty good. Yeah. And I've had post COVID now. I got, since we last talked, I got the vid right before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And weathered that storm, just another storm. And now feeling good again and life is good. Mm -hmm. Good. So this is actually great because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was uh, a recent conversation that you and I had as I was reflecting on sabbatical. So um, just actually finishing in the final few days of sabbatical, three months sabbatical. And, you know, what you called my return to sabbatical or my return from sabbatical, my kind of new way of being that I am adopting, transitioning to, you, you call that opus. Mm-hmm. And so... When I hear you describe how things are, mm-hmm. right, that uh, the same, mm-hmm. right, pre, post, COVID, things just come and go and things are the same for you, mm-hmm. that's maybe worth expanding on because I think some people might not really know what that means. I, I know what you mean because I know your life and how you define opus and how those two things are the same. It feels important to me to maybe go in a little deeper and talk about finding opus or really what opus means to you. It's, I don't know, it continues to reveal itself to me. So Mm. um, yeah, I thought maybe we would get into it a little bit. I have a hard time speaking about opus or core 
without speaking about them in a deep way, in a very lengthy way. You could spend the whole hour on that. So why I say things are the same is because they are. And it's why we do this work. It's why you and I are still together doing this work. It never ends. So in one respect, it's my gosh, are we going to always do core work? My gosh, is every day in pursuit of opus? What about like uh, distraction? What about a diversion? What about recovering? Don't we need to build that in? And so why I say it's the same, it's the combination of a strong core and a clear opus that allows life to feel consistently like you're in control. Even though like when heart attacks and COVID hit, you're not. Or business ventures go wrong, you're not. Or family members go wrong or go away, it's not. And so when you ask me to talk about opus, I'm like, you have to talk about core first. Because for you to really live an opus for your work and for your life, it has to have something to attach to, which is your core. And so I just keep doing core work, um, working on what are my deepest held beliefs? What are my identities? The names I call myself. What are my principles? The values that mean the most to me. What are my passions, my love tos? And am I engaging them routinely in new ways, evolving them? letting them grow. And what are my core purposes, my big whys that get me up in the morning and put me to bed peacefully at night? And then lastly, what's my process for tightening it all up? That's the core. What do you think is, in your experience, kind of the main reason why people struggle to do that work? And actually, I'm not as curious about kind of the core work because I think I understand that it's hard to really actually look at yourself and to see where maybe you're out of integrity and mm. then to try to tighten that up. Right. That's really hard work. But the part about the love to mm-hmm. where opus for me, I think the love to is a huge part, right? Absolutely. I get you can't really do it consistently over time through the challenges if you don't have the strong core, if you don't know who you are and what you're attached to, what your identity is. I get all of that. The love to part kind of still baffles me a little bit. It's like, why don't we do, why can't we connect the dots that we can love our work and that we can do that then forever? Why is that so hard for people? I'm going to give you the short answer. Because it goes against survival wiring, which evolution has just built into you and me hardcore. Okay, we're hardwired for fear. It's how we have stayed alive. It's how we got the genetic disposition that we picked up from our ancestors. They were wired to survive. It's hardcore. That's your natural state. And in our work, I see so many people that even though they've achieved great success, they've made it, if you will. They made it by using that survival wiring to its fullest. And out of fear, they did things their dad told them they couldn't do or that their environment didn't make it easy for them to see. They, out of fear, they overcame, 
right? And when I talk to them about, tell me what you love about your life. They're like, what do you mean? I guess I, I, I love being on top. I love winning. I love knowing I have more money than I can spend. I, I guess that's what I love. And I'm like, no, tell me about like, what do you love to do with that money or with that security or with this time? Who do you love to be with? What kinds of activities do you just get juiced thinking about that you're going to do today? And because we're so wired for survival, even very successful people, love is like a four-letter word. Mm-hmm. And so they, well, I don't have time for that. You know what I mean? Everybody's counting on me now. I've got to do this. I've got all these obligations. I'm responsible, Chet, and I'm an adult. I, I used to love climbing trees when I was a kid. I had a client tell me this recently. I just don't have time anymore, but it's a love to. Yeah. I had a, a friend who took a, sold a business, took bunch of time off and went back and started another business. And he told me that he wanted to start, he realized he wanted to start another business because that's what he loves to do. Yeah. He loves to build businesses. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious about how do you know, how do you know when your love is attached to, let's just say, call it business for yeah. a second. How do you know that it's not those other things like winning, being on top, money, success, validation, accolades? How do you know that it's not those things and that it's actually love, right? Because I feel like he in particular and most people, me included, I've done this dance a number of times where you can convince yourself and, and not like really actually believe it that this is what you love. Maybe in a moment of truth, you might realize if you're lucky that, wait a minute, that's not actually what's most important to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And you ask good questions and there's just no easy short answer to any of them. The, The shortest answer I would give is that when it's love, there's a peace and a calm and a contentment that follows it. And that's why I say, you ask, how am I doing? I'm doing like I've been doing. I challenge myself. I challenge my clients. And I'm really peaceful about what I do with it and what they do with it. And I love that they want me to be with them, be an encourager to them and be a challenger to them, grow old with them. And I don't get tired of being with you 13 years. I'm content. And there's plenty of challenge. It's changed. It's evolved. It's grown. But the way I know this work is the work that I love is because I don't think about, I wish someday I could just go on the speaking tour and not have to be sitting here with Mm -hmm. the athlete. (laughs) I'd like to be in front of a crowd of millions and have them cheering me on. I don't think those thoughts because that's not a love to of mine. In fact, Mm -hmm. that's a loathe to. Mm -hmm. So I've designed Built to Lead to go deep with a few like you. But I guess I'm wondering... Is that specific to you? Is that your love to? Or do you think, okay, yes, but do you also think that the wanting to be in front of the crowd and having everybody tell you're amazing, is there something wrong with that? Is there something that like that is tied to some other incomplete piece, this fear piece, trauma, childhood conditioning, societal, whatever it is, right? Is it tied to something that maybe isn't really truly deep down your best you, your highest and best self, and that kind of getting to something that is a little bit more direct what you do is 
ultimately in our best interest or I don't know, explain that a little bit. Yeah, I, this is again why I say the core work is so important to that. For my opus, it's going deep with a few. For my opus, it's doing the work the way I've chosen to do it with business owners and then with their teams, going deep with a few. For others that I work with, their opus is going broad and wide, a variety of things. And as, as I get to know them and as they get to know themselves, we quickly figure out if that's ego-driven or not. Mm-hmm. And I can't answer it for them. I can only say that for me, I know what I've had to make my peace with wrestling with. Why do I want that? I do want more people to know me. I have that same wish that everybody does to be known by mm-hmm. more than just a few. You know what I mean? But I've made my peace with that the cost of energy for me to do that is not mm-hmm. the return I want. So I've made my peace with my place. Mm-hmm. And, and I tell my clients, you may want to travel. I have clients that want to be in front of millions and that are, and that gives them juice and that they've had to wrestle with, why am I after this? Because they believe this is the way they were created. This mm-hmm. is the way they were designed. This is really them being themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is the challenge. I want you to be the CEO of YOU and figure that out. Mm-hmm. And I'll be your truth teller. I'll be your sounding board. I'll, like, I'll be like, Athlete, come on. Mm -hmm. Do you really? Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. And eventually, as I keep listening to you, you will talk yourself to your true self and write yourself to your true self. And for some of us who are very, I'm pretty simple. Many humans are much more complex than I am. The gig is to go from simple toward complexity. That's the gig. That's the evolution of humanity. We're meant to become more complex beings. Now, don't mistake that for complicated. I have mm-hmm. lots of clients who have wanted to simplify because their life has gotten complicated. Mm-hmm. That's very different than complex. Mm-hmm. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm complex, don't get me wrong, but I'm much, a much more simple dude than many of my clients. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make them bad or me bad. It's we're all wired differently. And so I believe the more you build a complex you, the more you got to take time to write and reflect because the more complex you get, the easier complications seep in. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit more about the complexity. Mm -hmm. Explain that a little bit. For me, I'll just talk about mine. As a young person, I was really little dude, skinny, built like my mom. And yet my, one of my primary identities was as an athlete. And so I played every sport that I could. And I I didn't limit myself to one. I played them all. That was the simple to complex as an athlete. My mom wanted me to play an instrument. That would have been a good complexity for me. But I told her no. And she let me get away with it because I was the baby. (laughs) My sisters had to play. I didn't. I missed out on an opportunity to explore another side of Chet as a child. And I just, no, I'm just an athlete. That was it. I wasn't even a student. Like I I told myself, B's are good enough. So I literally was a B. I didn't have any, I didn't care. I didn't build any complexity into learning. I just wanted to be an athlete. Very simple. And as I grew and got out of school and got into a job, I got into a job just because I wanted to compete. So I got into a sales gig because it was the only job I could think of where I could actually go out and compete. 
Again, very simple. I'm still trying to be an athlete. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't Mm -hmm. play competitive golf at the level that I had wanted professionally. So I'm like, what's the next best thing? Well, I'm going to compete as a sales dude. Mm. It's black and white. You either win or lose. I'm still just freaking an athlete. And as I went through that and I started to get some success, I realized I'm a leader and I didn't know it. But I started to develop a following and I wasn't trying. And I got promoted before I was ready because they saw something in me that I didn't. I go, gosh, I guess there is something more. So I started to lean into that, a new identity as a leader. Before long, I was starting to read. And I was reading because I wanted to become better at this leadership thing. This was a new thing for me, leading small team in tech and I didn't know what I was doing. So I started reading and before long, I started realizing I love to learn, started to get more complex. I remember calling my mom in my late twenties and I'm now a father. So I've got complexity because I'm now not just a man, I'm married. I'm a husband and we have children. I'm a father. The simple to complex is happening. I'm evolving. I'm seeing different sides of me, right? And I start learning. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better leader. They're tied. I'm, so I'm reading. And mm-hmm. then before long, I start writing. I've never written a thing in my life. I hated writing. I hated mm-hmm. English. I didn't like the arts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm an athlete, remember? Mm-hmm. And before long, uh, my mom is, I can't believe Chester. She goes, when we talk now, you talk to me about books and about your writing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm falling in love with learning. Mm-hmm. And so today when people... Ask me about my, I've got a, I've got a long list of my identities. Mm-hmm. I'm no, I don't say I'm an athlete. I say I'm an artist and an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I'm poison and wine. And I could go on and on. Mm-hmm. And all of them are true. And it's, I'm not Chester Eugene Scott II, the, the little dude trying to prove he, he can compete with you. I don't see myself as a competitor at all. I see myself as a builder of people like you Mm -hmm. and I collaborate and I love and I never thought I would even say love so freely. Like I thought that was a four letter word Mm. because it sounded too scary. Now I tell guys I love them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. Um, That's complex. I'm uh, just sitting here thinking about seven good minutes, you know, which I think we talked about was first exposure to you was seven good minutes and, Mm-hmm. What a gift, you know, where you can just sit there and listen to somebody. You know, before we we started to record, we joked that we didn't know what the subject was. And I've learned that I don't have to when you can just truly tune in and listen and not worry about the next question, but just actually be present and then see what is what you're curious about. And so you've said a number of things that made me curious and I'm going to let you decide where we're going to go. But you talked a bit about parenting Mm. and you recently wrote a blog about that, which I thought was great. And so we could talk about parenting or I'm also curious about Chester, the artist. I know Chester, the entrepreneur most people do, but I'm curious about how you define being an artist. That's a lot easier than talking about being a father. I'm going to go easy to start. We can come back to that. So how I define me as an artist, I'd say pretty simply, I'm not a musician, although I love music, but I don't play an instrument. I don't like you. I'm not starting to play guitar. I know you are. You're like, 
jamming out. I don't know. I am And you're starting. a painter. Yeah, you're a painter and you're a, a writer. This is art. This You're an artist. I am an artist and an entrepreneur, and my art is really words. Writing. Yeah. Yeah. I love, uh, I write every day, and it's not a chore. It's a labor of love. I publish some of what I write on the blog. Most of it I do not. And people find that hard to believe because they tell me, like, where do you come up with all this stuff? We can't keep up with your writing. And that's just a fraction of it. So that's my art. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's helped me solidify who I am. And just to clarify, I am learning to play the guitar again for the second time. Mm. The first time I I didn't actually learn. I tried to learn. Mm. And I do paint and I don't share my paintings because in both cases, I'm terrible at (laughs) both of them. But I don't care because I enjoy that um, quite a bit. And so I, I am curious about this subject of art, it doesn't have to be defined as a fine art or playing an instrument. And I've grappled with this a little bit. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. But when I hear that there's a couple of of things that have come to me that are spiritual, one of which is this idea that we're created in God's image. And to me, what I believe that means is that we are really all one, one energy, which is what I call God, right? right? And so if we're all God in some little way, then we are all creators. And so being a creator is really what I call being an artist. And you can create anything, right? In fact, we're constantly creating. We don't like to sometimes acknowledge it, or we might not even be aware of it, but we're creating our lives to be what they are all the time, right? And I know that gets into the whole conversation where some people say there's privilege and it's, and I get that. I do. I'm not saying this is easy. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that creating your life isn't easier for some than others, right? But I do believe that we could probably say we are all artists and we are all born to be artists. A lot of people will argue that and say, oh, I can't, I'm not, it's not in me. I'm, you know, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on any of that, but especially this kind of part about, are we all born to be artists, to be creators? I'm going to give you a short answer. Yeah, I agree. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think because I'm a reader, my favorite artist that's alive is Stephen Pressfield, who a great blessing was having him write my foreword, which only happened because of a friend, Jim Gant, who's good friends with him. I did not deserve that, which also is a belief of mine that the best things in life you don't deserve. You just have to accept. He wrote a book called The Artist's Journey, and it's the buildup to go beyond the hero's journey, which is the kind of the oldest story ever told by pretty much every culture, which is the story of the few who leave the village, who leave the cave, venture across the mountains with a friend, and then come back to tell the village, oh my gosh, there's so much more. Come with me. I just discovered a new world, right? That's the hero's journey. Every culture tells the story to their young about Be like the athlete. 
You don't have to stay here. You can go be whomever you want to be, but you got to get out of here to see something beyond the mountain. It's not true that those people on the other side of the mountain are bad. We've been told all these stories, the fear of the outsider, but the hero goes and embraces them and then comes back and says, hey, it's pretty cool over there. Come with me. Pressfield wrote a book called The Artist's Journey, and he's saying we're all meant to be creators, just like you said. Mm -hmm. And he goes, so are you willing to go beyond being a hero to being an artist? Mm -hmm. I say to your listeners that are curious about what are they creating, they're creating, and they're meant to create Mm -hmm. their art. And uh, that book will spur you to think, and it's not a big, thick book. It's not even a difficult one. So I would recommend to the listener, go check it out. And if they wanted a shorter one, they could read The Alchemist, right? Yeah, Pressfield and Alchemist both are great fundamental reading, Mm -hmm. really great. And we could talk about reading. But I had a question in my mind earlier that just keeps coming back, which is you talk about the hero's journey and come with me. And I wonder sometimes when you're in an engagement with a client, how much you, I know your method is really about getting them to see the answers, Mm -hmm. right? Asking a lot of questions, making them right, arguing with themselves, lawyers' arguments back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. And until you can really find what's true for you, because ultimately at the end of the day, you're the only one that can actually say what's truly true for you, right? right? So I wonder how often you find yourself thinking that you're pretty clear somebody should do or what their opus is or when, what kind of decisions they should make or when they should jump that, that I wonder how often it's clear to you, how early it's clear to you. And if you ever really step in as a truth teller and or when you step in as a truth teller and say, hey, here's what I think. Here's what you need to do. It's so obvious to me. Like, why can't you see this? And I know that you would use much better language, but I'm just wondering, like, how much of that is there for you when you're with somebody? A lot. And the longer I do it, the more frequently the answer shows up in my brain before it does in my clients. Because I've, uh, it's my life's work to get in your head. And so most people's life has been spent so up in their head that they can't get out of it. My, so oftentimes because I can see them spinning and I can see, uh, I'm not saying like in a minute, I'm Mm -hmm. saying after time, studying them, doing, having them do discovery, do core work, Mm -hmm. author an opus that they thought was authentic, but I saw it as a step to the authentic. Mm -hmm. And I mostly keep my mouth shut. But then I have those moments and you bring them out of me all the time because you're constantly like some of my other clients who I've been with forever. They're like, look, I, if you ask me a question, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I just want to know, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And I will tell you. Mm-hmm. And, I will, and I tell you straight up mm-hmm. exactly what I think. But I wait for the invitation. Mm-hmm. I just believe that's the way it's best. If I just go, if I drive it, your brain by nature resists it. Even though you may see me as an authority or a trusted advisor. Mm-hmm. If you're not, if you're not, <laughs> it's the saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. If you're not, will, if you're not open to really hearing it, you're not going to hear it. That's right. Yeah. 
So it doesn't do me any good to tell you what I'm thinking Mm -hmm. when you haven't asked. Yeah. It's funny because the last time we had lunch, (laughs) you said like early on, as I was just getting ready to start to talk to you, you said, do you want me to just give you the answers? (laughs) (laughs) And I said... And it's funny because I always want you to just give me the answers. And I said, I do. I really do. But first, I'm going to tell you everything I need to tell you. And then when I was done, which took probably 45 minutes, I said, okay, now tell me. (laughs) So great. Yeah. I don't think I did, did I? You did, yeah. Oh, I did. Well, I asked you, like you just said, just tell me what you think. What do you really think? Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. did. Was it helpful? Very, yeah. It was helpful. And I think your point is right. You know, why you hold back. Mm. It it was helpful because I had come to the point where I had realized on my own, Mm. what you were saying was true. And so I could take it in and, and then hearing it from somebody (laughs) that what I was thinking, hearing from somebody that I really trust. Hearing that same thing was very comforting and validating and helped me get some clarity. I think there's, for any leaders, fathers, mothers that are listening, it's like that nugget right there is worth the whole podcast. And what I mean by that, every system, and we only work with really good systems and every CEO, every business owner, we only work with ones that like want to get better. Mm-hmm. We, so I'm in rare air with the people that I invest my time with. These are people that are freaking awake and getting after it and wanting to get better. Okay, it's very rare. That's a rare world right there that I live in. And even having said that, I slow them down. So, hey, let me tell you what's wrong with you. Look, we got a great growing system. You're a great athlete, but you got to start doing this. Mm-hmm. And these are the coaches that love their team and they understand them. And yet they want to go into command mode mm-hmm. because... We don't have time for me to really hear you out. Let me Mm -hmm. just tell you what you need to do now, because if you don't do this now, we're not going to win and I'm not going to have a job. Right. So that's the fear. That's the fear. And it just keeps coming back to that. That's right. It's just time, loss, Mm -hmm. survival, fear. And so we're quick. Speeds us up. Yeah. And the gig for excellence is to slow it down. Mm -hmm. Let you talk for 45 minutes. It was freaking magic. I listen, Mm -hmm. you learn by listening to yourself. Mm -hmm. Your brain starts to get clear and then you go, now tell me what you think and I validate your thinking. Mm -hmm. This is what most leadership is. Mm -hmm. Simply letting the team figure it out and then saying, oh my gosh, that's it. Yeah. And then they go, oh, that's it. And now instead of saying, you're right, Chet, they say, that's right, athlete. And now they go do it. Mm -hmm. That's the freaking magic. Oh, you're. I love that you're embracing the athlete too. Well, I'm just. I've just learned to tune things no, out. He, and, hey, know, he's embracing it. It's. I know you very well, and I know what works for me. <laughs> so I just let certain things go. Yeah. As far as you go, yeah. Well, I think one of your um, deepest held beliefs is that you're a work in progress. And I believe it's something like will forever be a work in progress. Hmm. And so I'm wondering how you do work, right? Are you self-coached? Do you have true tellers outside of your bride? And then one of the things that I've found in my own little experience of advising and coaching others is that you can learn a lot 
by being on your side of the, the table. Yeah. And I'm wondering how much of that, how much of what you do is how you continue to learn about yourself or where it comes from that continues to have you working on yourself? Everything. This is part of the learning. I, I have sold this to my bride. I think I've told it to you. I've told it to, to many that I get paid to work on myself. Well, explain that because I think I understand for the audience, talk a little bit more about what happens that, that really get into the experience, the feeling in your body of learning by being with. Like, like for instance, if people could see me now, they would see a body that is immersed in what we're doing. Like my body's shaking, literally, because I'm just, you're my third practice of the day. And I get into a state of flow that I can feel in my body. Mm-hmm. And it starts to tingle. And my brain and my body are like on fire. And it's because I'm like into this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just fully, I'm not thinking about what I have next or where I just came from. I'm like immersed in this and your questions are like riveting my soul. And I'm just like, I can just feel my whole system on that flow edge that is so hard to explain until you've been in it and you just love it. So when people say, do you have a builder? You propose, Mm -hmm. do you have a truth teller? I'm like a shit ton of them all day. Yeah. Just all day. And I know it's cliche that the, the teacher learns twice. I feel like literally I'm learning all the time. So I'm constantly learning about you and helping you and I'm lost in you. And then I go home and I write and I see me and I'm like, okay, Chet, I probably need to write about that. We talked a little bit about some books. Hmm. Talk about the role that reading plays in your life and where you are currently with reading. I know you've gone through a journey where you learned to love to read and then you read a ton. And then recently, I think you were only Mm rereading and reading classics and reading the best books. And we talked a little bit the other day about not finishing books. So talk a little bit about how you read. How I read today is very different from how I read 20 years ago. 30 years ago, when I really started, about 30 years ago, I started. Leading with Soul, I want to say was the first book that got under my skin. That was from Pete Kunk, a good friend. And I wasn't, I was in the corporate world then, and he was just a good friend and a neighbor. And and he was an avid reader. And he recommended that book. And I forget the authors, but it spoke to me because it was all about leading the way I want to lead and the way I was leading. And I'm like, okay, well, that that gave me a nuance for leading the way I was leading. So I was like, okay, I want to read books that are going to help me become just more who I am by nuancing. By I, I read a book and I just said, I want to get one thing. And I did. And I still remember from that book, I got the vibe they put in that they studied with great leaders is great leaders build cultures that do three things, honor the past. They don't live in the past but they learn from the past. Great leaders build this kind of a vibe that tells everybody, this is who we are. And if you're going to be a part of our team, you need to know where we came from. And so great leaders honor the past. And I remember back in my corporate days, when I would walk in, I remember walking into McDonald's in Chicago. At the time it was in the suburbs. I think it's downtown now. 
and we were trying to sell them the use of our technology. And I walked in their lobby and they had their history from Ray Kroc in the beginning with the McDonald's brothers in California. And I walked the whole lobby and got their story. We won the deal because I think I gave them, <laughs> I just, I connected to their story. I gave them a message that connected. P&G, the same thing. I remember walking in their lobby and seeing their story. So it really hit me. And then I read the book, Honor the Past. I'm like, that's what these people are doing. Why don't we do that at CompuServe? We're going to get everybody to learn the CompuServe story. It was an amazing transformation in our culture when I started telling the story of our origin. Mm. Okay. So mm-hmm. honor the past. Second thing, celebrate the present. I'm like, oh yeah, that's why we do Beer Fridays back before that was a thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't call them Beer Fridays. A lot of companies do now. Mm-hmm. I just said, hey, at 3.30 on Friday when I'm in, I have a fridge, there's beer in it. If you want to come have a cold one with me, I'm going to have a cold one at 3.30 on Friday. Not a six pack, <laughs> a cold one. Mm-hmm. Anybody in HR, please don't listen to this. <laughs> Probably some of the greatest ideas that mm-hmm. we in, put into play in our company came from Friday around 4.30. Mm-hmm. Sitting there with engineers, marketing, ops, sales, just talking shit. Mm-hmm. And great ideas came. We were just celebrate. We'd celebrate wins. I'd always do a toast because we were winning. So I'd celebrate and then we'd chill and ideas came. Mm-hmm. Celebrate the present. And then the third thing out of this book, Leading with Soul, was great leaders also build a culture that has great enduring vision for the future. So honor the past. Don't live in it. Celebrate the present. Little wins. Something you love. <laughs> and then build a vision for the future. Mm-hmm. When I read that, I'm like, gosh, we do all that. But it gave me new language to nuance it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I get out of books. And so now I, I don't read books that are fun. That was a, I've gotten more complex, mm. but I'm constantly looking for what can I learn that I can take to apply to my work, my life. And I'm just looking for a thing. Mm-hmm. How do you pick? Because knowing yeah. that, you know, you, you blog and you are out there in this world and you know, have a lot of clients, people are probably recommending and All handing day. you and sending you. So how do you choose? So. All day long, I get recommendations and I get books and they mm-hmm. physically hand them to me, which I love. I, mm-hmm. I love books. I love to read books that I hold. A lot of people read Kindle and mm-hmm. that's fine. I just, for me, I prefer holding it and then writing in it. Just again, you can write on the Kindle. I know all that mm-hmm. and I've done it, but I just like the freaking paper. Mm-hmm. And so if you recommend a book, I typically just read it. Mm-hmm. If Rich Reader recommends a book, I typically just read it. There are very few of those clients that recommend me books that I just go get and read. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? There's Mm -hmm. only a few. Most people that recommend it, if they give me the book, I read the opening and the ending. Mm -hmm. And if I connected to those two and I saw, I want to know what's in the middle, then I do it. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to waste my time just pouring through a 300-page book and getting halfway through and realizing the author's just repeating himself to get it to that number. And, and then I'm frustrated and I don't really get the conclusion. So it doesn't ruin a good book, nonfiction. <laughs> it ruins fiction, but it doesn't ruin nonfiction if you read the opening and the ending and use that as your gauge to then go yes or no. Mm-hmm. And if it's no, go give it to somebody. If it's yes, read and write in it. And that's why. Yeah, I like that. The yeah. kind of beginning and end is a good technique because we talked about not finishing books. I used to have a thing that I felt like 
I needed to finish the book that maybe there was some sort of FOMO that what if I don't, when you get to a certain point, you gave me a book recently where I was not excited to read it, but you gave it to me and I thought maybe I should just see what's in here. Right. And it turns out I don't like the book, but I got something out of it. And as soon as I got something out of it, I kind of skimmed through it and then put it down. Perfect. And and it was like, that was, and it was very satisfying actually, because I felt like I got everything out of that book that it had to offer me. Right. And yet I didn't feel like I was in some sort of experience I didn't want to be in. Right. right? And so that's leading me to something else I was curious about, which is time and, and how you choose to spend your time mostly, if not only, doing the things that you want to be doing. And how really, one of the big things that I've taken away from the sabbatical is saying no, mm-hmm. the importance of saying no. Mm-hmm. And That win right there. Yeah, and it's like a, a win that I knew intellectually. <laughs> there, there's a difference between kind of understanding the concept and knowing it and even occasionally applying it. Right. Right. And then there's like the embodied experience of something that has you going, oh, I get that. I'm going to say no because I like this experience way better than that one. Mm -hmm. Right. But getting there is tough. Right. For all the reasons, fear and survival and I need that. Right. If I do this, then that and then whatever. Right. So talk to me a little bit about how you've chosen to spend your time the way you do and how you've learned to say no. And when you maybe do say yes to something that you wouldn't typically like to do or want to do. Man, I'm going to ask you to tell the listener what you think. Because I want you to tell them, say, okay, let me tell you what I think how I think Chet does it. Mm. And I want to hear it and I'm going to see if you really know me. So how do you think I do it? Okay. How do you Um, think I invest my time where I want to? How have I, tell the listener your view of that. I'm grading you now. I'm a C student, so I should be okay. (laughs) I, I think you talked a little bit about this earlier where you talked about your love to's and what kind of gives you energy and that kind of tingle and the feelings and not wanting to maybe having a little piece of you that wants to be in front of a crowd, but knowing Mm -hmm. that the energy it takes to do that. And so I think it's somewhat of an energetic thing Mm -hmm. where you can feel into whether or not this is really who you are, your core, your identity. It comes back to that. We've talked a little bit over the years, the idea that you make exceptions because you love people. Mm-hmm. And you want to do things because it's important to them. Mm-hmm. And so then it's not something that you really don't want to do. You, you've chosen to do it because it's important to them and you love them. And mm-hmm. so you want to do it. But really, I think you've, my, my, my understanding of you is that you love yourself enough to really be very diligent about how you live and therefore how you spend your time. And you just have had to get real comfortable with that being the most important thing, yourself and your family and your close friends. Mm -hmm. The few. The few. 
and the few exceptions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you're dead right. You get an A. Mm. How's that feel? Hey, everybody likes to get an A. You got an A. I give you an A. I'd say an A plus. Mm. And all of that is true. And I would, I would and investing time is just like a, that's all of humanity's challenge because we don't control it. One of my beliefs is I have a built-in expiration date. It's just, I don't know it, but it's there. And so we tend to live as if we don't. Because it's hard to face your mortality and go, okay, you know. And so most people with time, they just get busy. Because there's this thing, I'm not sure how much time I have, so I got to get busy. That's the world. And the few come to face that and don't get busy. They go start building themselves, building their life, getting really clear on who they are and what's the dream. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't feel like they're busy. And it just feels like they're building on who they really are and what they're doing in that moment of time is building them. Mm-hmm. And it's building their contribution that they just totally believe this is why I'm here and that's what I'm to leave here. And so they get peaceful with that, that they've been building themselves and they've been building their opus and they're just making a contribution. And so they put their head on the pillow and it was a good day. Yeah. That's, uh, does that make sense? It does. It does. And one of the things that is just coming to me as you're saying that is as you do that, it feels, and again, this is maybe just coming off the sabbatical and having this experience of not being busy, Yeah, that there's actually something pretty magical about not being busy in that you can really slow it all down. And if we are all on borrowed time, right. then, and you don't want it to go by too quickly, then not being busy is a great way to slow it all down. Right. That's right. And ironically, I am, I've had some really good conversations with good friends of mine and good clients of mine of late. And I've asked them a question that I've avoided asking for a long time but I've been getting more comfortable like just asking it because here's the gig. I see, I see my impact. I can, I'm not, I don't mean this braggingly. I just mean it as a matter of fact, like I know built to lead works. I can see it 20 years in. I know this model works and I know it's my life's work. Like I'm like, I get it. I'm trying to integrate it more and more into my life. Just period. Being a builder, period. And one of my, frustrations is knowing that I'm a friend to a few, but I'm a friend to quite a few. I get in and we transform. It's like life-changing stuff. And I hear it. I see it. I see it with you. And yet, this is the question I'm getting to it. I'm the primary initiator in almost every relationship. And I look at that and I go, what's wrong with that picture? If I'm truly transforming and I've been a catalyst for transformation, why is it that I'm still the one initiating with these people who clearly are transforming and they tell me all the time, it's because of the work with Built to Lead, mm-hmm. the work with you. And yet I don't hear from them unless I initiate. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. I want it, again, human. I want reciprocity. Mm. I want it to go both ways. Mm-hmm. And so I've started to ask a few of my really close friends, hey, ma'am, just be straight up honest. Why don't you call me? Mm-hmm. 
just tell me the truth. Like you realize like you and I are best buddies. Mm-hmm. We've been best buddies forever, but you never initiate. And so I can tell you, I know you will. And I know you're busy. My mom even says this. Mm-hmm. My mother, she will not call me. Mm-hmm. She waits for me to call her. And it's this thing, Chet, I know you're busy. I'm 96. I've got all day. You're busy running around. And the reality is I'm not. And I've told different people who've told me that, you know what, I'm really, I am not busy. When you call, I will not take the call if I'm busy. And I will call you back. And I said, you don't have to call, but I would love to hear from you sometime when you have something on your heart, mm-hmm. you initiate. And so initiators. I, I used I to think, just say, Lee, I think busyness is such a relationship killer. When again, we're so prone to it, that as you come out of sabbatical and come back into whatever is work and life, leaders are initiators. I, I used to just say leaders are believers, leaders are connectors. I'm adding leaders are initiators. I'm making myself comfortable that I am going to be an initiator in most of my relationships. And I'm all right with it. Mm-hmm. I've wrote a lot about why I'm so frustrated. And mm. I've made my peace with chat. That is the gig. You're an initiator. People see it. They wait for you. Mm-hmm. They're being respectful to you. Mm-hmm. They're not only talking to you when you talk to them. That's a sign of a leader. And I'm going to keep initiating. And I've already noticed just having that conversation with a handful of friends, what's happening? They're initiating. Yeah. That's good to hear because, you know, I, I think part of what's going on there is storytelling that we get in our heads and we say, oh, they're busy and maybe they are, maybe they're not. Right. right? And, oh, they're always the one that calls me, so I'll wait. But right. maybe they don't really want to do that. Right. And you're being CCD mm-hmm. and clear, concise, direct with those that you love yeah. and you're telling them like, what you need and what's actually going on. Yeah. I'm not busy and I would like it if you called me. Yeah. And that's how you get to bub up the conflict. That's, that's how you right. get to what you want. So there's that. That's a great that's a great podcast right there. Yeah, there's a lot. And I'm we're not going to get to the parenting piece. You're going to get off the hook on that. Thank you. This episode. But you will <laughs> get that's going to be my first question on the next episode. Okay. Because that's a whole episode by itself, oh, yeah. probably. But it's interesting. I Last night, my wife and I started re-watching this show called This Is Us. Mm-hmm. I've seen a commercial for that. That's a popular one. Yeah, it's been on the air for a lot of years. <clears throat> and this is their last episode. And I've always loved it, but we fell off. And then we, this is the last season. So we decided, you know, it's the last season. Let's Let's watch it again. And uh, people think it's kind of corny or whatever, but I personally happen to just really enjoy the show. I find myself sobbing. It's like Mm. funny. It just really Mm. hits me for some Mm. reason. And last night's episode was about a character, I guess, spoiler alert, if you're not caught up on This Is Us, (laughs) but a character whose mother passes away. Mm. And they had a weekly phone call. Sunday at six o'clock and the character had three young kids and oftentimes was juggling a lot of things. And consequently their conversations were pretty brief and pretty surface. And, and when she passed away, he went to visit her and realized she had a whole life he didn't even know about. And it just struck me again, coming out of sabbatical, why is it that we don't 
spend more time with the people that we love? Why is it that we're not really fully doing the things that we want to be doing? Why is it that we're so busy? And look, I think we all go through various stages in life, right? And there's a period where you're making your way and right. building your nest and whatever. And that's part of life. Yeah. And there's always more opportunity to slow down and be with. Mm-hmm. And and I'm being drawn more and more towards that. And and I just it's part of the reason why we're doing these podcasts, yeah. right? It's let's spend some more time together. Let's do what we love to do. Let's be in great conversation together and let's share it with the world. That's yeah. what we both enjoy doing. Hopefully it means something to other people. So I'll let you kind of have the last word and we'll wrap up and do it again here soon. A couple last words. So you asked about like, how do I decide what I'm reading? When we we answer that. And as you were talking, I was thinking, it's so great. <laughs> My mom, like a, like a typical mom, truth teller, she's like, Chester, I'm really worried about you. I read your book and you ask so many questions in your book that I think there are answers to and you are so all over the place. <laughs> and I'm like, tell me more, mom. Mm. And she goes, well, like, I see you not being really clear about the answers to the very big questions in life, the way you write. And I am. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, tell me more. So she did. We had this great conversation mm-hmm. about worldview, about our belief systems. And she said, you know what I'd like to do? And I'm like, what? She goes, I would like to read the Bible with you. And I'm like, cool. I said, where do you want to start? Mm-hmm. She said, let's start with the book of John. And she goes, that's my favorite book. I've read it. I'm like, good. So we'll do a chapter a day. We'll read it. I'll read it. You read it. And then we'll write each other a little bit. And we did. And we have another book. Um, so we're reading that. And then she said, and we had my, let's see, he's my nephew. So I don't know what that makes her to him. Grandma. Okay, so her grandson Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. gave us both the same book. And so I said, good, and we'll read a chapter in this book as well. And so we've been doing that. And we're we're almost finished with, well, we finished John. We finished the next book she wanted to read, Acts. Now we're in the third book in the Bible, Romans. Mm -hmm. And we're almost finished with this other book that we've been reading together. And for my mom, who felt I was too busy to call me, it's funny how... We've connected at a deeper level now at my 63rd year, her 97th year, mm-hmm. by reading by ourselves and then writing. And now when we talk, it's like magic. Mm-hmm. Well, we could have been doing this for 60 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just started and I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to keep doing it. And we're just going to keep reading together and writing and connecting. Yeah. And she's 800 miles away. And she most likely will never come here again. She's told me it. So I'm only going to see her when I go there. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I see her now all the time. Mm -hmm. And not too busy. Mm -hmm. But I had to figure it out with her, how we would connect. Mm -hmm. And I think we're figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about parenting, but I'd probably rather talk about how to be a good son. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much more learning Mm -hmm. for me as I'm learning that 
trans, you know, they're together. Interesting. We will get into all of that. We're going to be doing more of this. Like I said, I'd love to. How uh, much time did we take? It's about an hour, okay. give or take. But one of the things that just is coming to me at the end here is we were talking earlier about when the student is ready, the teacher appears and, you know, why sometimes you can't really say what you think because somebody's not ready to hear it. Right. And I think that there's something to all of this, just, I guess, transparently, and I've probably shared this, you know, many times, but it's a divine architecture. I mean, you're talking about the Bible and I see this very much as a intelligence that we don't always understand, but it's always at work. And so it feels to me like sometimes everything is happening in, at, at its perfect time, yeah. right? And that why didn't we read 60 years? Right. Because you weren't ready to read 60 years right. ago, right? So true. And so you've been blessed with a mother who's 96 years old right? and you get to have enough experience under your belt to know what it means to be a good son and to become a better son. And that's got to be in some way just in divine perfection, perfectly on time as it is. But I think that I could probably even go a step further and say, and part of the reason why you're here right now in this moment is so maybe somebody else can hear that and do it sooner. Yeah. Amen. And I heard your worldview and all that. Mm Mm-hmm. And I love all that. Yeah. That's good. Maybe it was for you. Yeah. I think it's always there for us to use and learn and then serve. So, all right. Well, amen is the right way to wrap up. Chad, always a pleasure to be with you and talk about all this important, fun stuff. Yeah. And uh, I guess maybe... That's opus, right? Yeah. And if you aren't clear on what opus is, this is what it is. We're we're doing it right now. It's just it's uh loving your life and your work and being one. Yeah. Okay. All right, that's a wrap. We'll that's do it again here soon. Yeah. Thank you. Uh-huh. All right. That was fun. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak. 